I had no idea. I had no earthly idea how important and how much of a headache thresholds could be. In a building, they go unnoticed. It's just a strip of material that separates one flooring substance to another. It can protect an external door from bringing the elements inside the house. It can protect wood and tile. It provides a nice uh, transition between, that's uh, aesthetically pleasing between different types of flooring structures. I cannot even communicate to you today how many hours over the past two years I have spent in conversation about thresholds, <laughs> particularly about the flooring here in the sanctuary, where the new floor here meets up against the green stone on the aisles. Our first thought was that we would simply cover the old asbestos floor with the new flooring to save some money, but that would have necessitated a transition strip, a threshold, because there would be a little lip, perhaps, at certain parts in the aisle. But would that threshold create a tripping hazard for all of you as you tried to get into the pews? Would it be aesthetically improper and look um, inadequate to the worship space? Would God in heaven smite us for our neglect of the sacred space? The solution was we spent the money and abated the asbestos and put the flooring down that's currently under your feet. But then there was the threshold between the parlor and the infant room and the bathroom off the narthex. Did it need to be marble to match the other thresholds in that space? I didn't remember the other thresholds were marble. <laughs> or could it be another material? Brian Fry's face in my window. Hey, Andrew, can I show you something for a second? I've got an idea about the threshold. And then the new floor in the chancel as it transitioned out into this hallway. It was elevated more. Was there going to have to be a step? Was that going to be ADA compliant? Would the choir members all fall on their face as they tried to come through the doorway? Yet another thresholds that had to be navigated. These thresholds, these transition spaces, they separate one place from another. They're pretty important, and they largely go unnoticed. I believe that our church, Raleigh Court Presbyterian, is a threshold church. We sit in a location of transition, or you might say convergence of people and scenarios and issues that in other parts of our geographic area are not as pronounced as they are right here. We're going to be looking at what that means. For God to have planted our church in this specific geographic spot. We've just invested a lot in renewing this place where we worship, so we do well to wonder what would God have us do and who would God have us be in this specific location on this threshold. 
So today, we're going to explore a little history. I hope many of you are familiar with the story of Big Lick and how it became the magic city in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. With the arrival of the rail line and more people moving to town, the city of Roanoke, it wasn't called that yet, grew by 900% in 10 years' time. Unprecedented expansion and economic development in the area. The city became the main urban hub of the southwest part of Virginia. And as more and more people moved to town to work for the rail line and in the machine shops and to build the steam engines of the Norfolk and Western rail line, there was a need for more services and more residences for people to live in. And so, In 1919, the city annexed the property that would come to be known as Raleigh Court. And as the houses began to be developed, the bridge over the Roanoke River at the 13th Street, the Virginia Avenue Bridge, as it was called, was no longer adequately serving the transportation needs for accessing Raleigh Court. So in 1924, Roanoke voters approved a bond issue to develop what is now known as the Memorial Bridge. In that same year, 1924, the long-held dream of Dr. W.C. Campbell of the First Presbyterian Church of Roanoke was realized by his successor, Dr. Young. A Presbyterian church was going to be organized in the neighborhood of Raleigh Court. In June, a postcard went out to all the members of the First Presbyterian Church and the West End Presbyterian Church. It said, you and all other persons concerned in the organization of a Presbyterian Church in the Raleigh Court section of the city are urged to attend a meeting on June 5th at 8 p.m. at the Raleigh Court United Methodist Church. All matters pertinent and proper may be considered at this meeting. With an organizing committee chaired by J.N. Ammon and a building committee chaired by D.M. Etheridge, a new congregation was chartered in October of that year with 145 people, 93 of them from the First Presbyterian Church and 52 of them from the West End Presbyterian Church. They purchased lots 21, 22, and 23, section 13, Raleigh Court, measuring 150 feet by 250 feet for a purchase price of $8,750. A lot has changed. It's a beautiful story of a growing and prosperous city a new and energetic young congregation formed to help young families as they establish their life, to nurture marriages and the raising of children, to form a sense of civic duty to a community, to make a people a people of prayer and hospitality and deep care for one another. And it's all true. But we're a threshold congregation. So we would be remiss if we were not willing to name what was also true at that same time. Dotson Rand, in his history of Roanoke, explains how with this exponential growth of the city, basic services 
were not available to many of the residents, leading to regular outbreaks of diphtheria and cholera. And as expansion began to take place, the bond issues that were approved, like the Memorial Bridge, largely went towards the development of upperly mobile white communities in the city, leaving historically black neighborhoods like Gainsborough without those services. Articles in the local press stoked residents' fear of urban life, regularly quoting things such as African-American savagery. Jim Crow laws were passed. A 1921 deed to a piece of property on the 2200 block of Avonel Avenue dictated, none of said hereby granted land nor any portion thereof shall be hereafter conveyed, sold, or leased to a Negro or a Syrian. A 1934 deed of land near Fishburn Park said, No portion of the land shall be sold to be used, owned, or occupied by Negroes, Greeks, Assyrians, or by any persons who belong to any race or creed or sect which holds, recognizes, or observes any day of the week other than the first day of the week to be the Sabbath. Raleigh Court then also a community of white flight. And that's also true. We sit on a threshold. Two orienting stories that are both real and are both true. It's not unlike Joshua and the people of Israel in our passage today. They have arrived at the promised land, the land vowed by God to Abraham and to Moses. This is the land that they will cross over. They're at the threshold, the Jordan River, moving from wilderness to promised land. Here, on this land, they will raise families and bring in harvests and celebrate the liberation that they have enjoyed from Pharaoh's tyranny. This is the realization of the long-awaited promise. But it's also true that Canaanite people already live in this promised land, and they have no notion that it was promised to anybody else. They don't know Abraham or Moses. And so it's also true that the book of Judges, which comes right after Joshua, tells many of the same stories. But while Joshua reads like a Steven Spielberg war movie of conquest and um, unconditional victory, the book of Judges tells these stories of the Israelites living alongside these other tribes and nations. And the holy people occupying their promised land, that narrative of Joshua, is countered by another book about a woman who is an outsider, a Moabite named Ruth who winds up becoming the grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history, David. And it's all true, which makes it so very important to tend to thresholds, lest we get stuck in one story on one side of the boundary or the other. It is so easy to trip. So today we dedicate 
our renovation. An investment in this community where we are situated, where we encounter stories of urban poverty and gun violence and struggling schools and drug addiction and despair, and where folks are longing for a moment of transcendence in their hectic and scattered lives, where families are lured into the idolatry of wealth and success, a community where children need a foundation and a hope. We're situated in a spot where people who live in Roanoke City gather with people who live in Roanoke County, gather with people who live in Salem, and we are a church called to speak truth and to live out the work of God here. So today is not a day to dedicate air conditioning and classrooms and choir lofts. It's a dedication to a threshold, opening a place where stories are encountered, opening a place where the love of God manifests across boundaries of rivers and railroad tracks and interstates that seek to segregate us into SW and NW and NE and SE. Firm boundaries and hard lines, that is not our call. We've been placed here within a doorway to this community. And we have to tend to all aspects of that doorway, the slabs, the hinges, the hardware, and yes, the threshold. We've got to have a good threshold if we're going to be who God has called us to be, if we're going to keep becoming who God calls us to become, the church of the open door.